right, it's finally here. Joe Zuver is on the Sean Windsor show. And yes, we've read all 2,282 emails requesting why the hell is Joe's this episode not been released yet. But before I give it to you, just a quick word. <laughs> That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You are qualified enough. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay. You want to go right now? Hey kids, it's your old pal ML Elric back with another episode of ML Sold of Detroit. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Michigan Journalism Hall of Famer, newly inducted on the first ballot, Jim McFarlane. Longtime rock critic for the Detroit News and other publications, also wrote about radio and TV. Has got more good stories than we can ever fit into the show, but we're going to try and pack as many in as we possibly can, if only to keep Sean's terrible stories from littering the airway. But Sean Windsor is here. <laughs> got here before me, which tells you how late I was. And Mark Fellhauer, he's just kind of, he's here anyways. I think he's chained to his desk. I so. told Sean to give you some crap for beating you here today. And what did I say? You said you have no right to do that. And I said, yeah, yeah, you do. You just won today. And I said, it's not a competition. Everything's a competition. But it's good to be here. And what do you mean you wanted to make the intro about me? You you cut my name out in the middle of it. So I guess that was a passive aggressive one. No, it, it said Sean in there, didn't it? Yeah, said Sean Windsor. Yeah. I thought Windsor was kind of interrupted, but that's all right. It's a long Well, because Sean is what the guy who really does the show says, and we dub in the Windsor. I know we've done 201 episodes, but I thought you may have picked this up at some point. <laughs> Just maybe through osmosis, because I know you don't listen to the show or critique your own performance. What do you mean listen to the time. show? It's uh, I'm, I'm here. I, I listen to it live. But you're not listening. You're in the moment. It's when you go back and listen to it later that you can actually catch things that you didn't think. Things that you said that you wish you hadn't said. That's quite a large category. That, that, I, can, that I can do nothing about. And besides, I don't want to listen Except to not me. make the same would, mistake twice. Unlike you. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Do you ever, uh, I got do, a question. I got a question for you. When uh, you write something, do you ever reread it? Absolutely. Huh. So why wouldn't you re? review that's a, your that's your, that's painful enough but i can't listen to me i'm not like you i don't love the sound of my voice it's oh, brutal. Yeah. actually i don't love the sound of your voice either so i'm exactly like you <laughs> seems like we have something in common after all <laughs> besides uh self-loathing although like, it's not self-loathing because i only loathe you so how is that maybe we don't have Sean loathing yeah. anyways before we get going we we have to express our condolences to a real good friend of ours and a uh, a great journalist no matter what sean thinks carlos menares who has to do a podcast with Sean every week. <laughs> he also lost his father. So we want to express oh, our condolences for that as well. But, uh, but Carlos, if you listen to us on the way to North Carolina, just want to let you know we're thinking about you. And uh, we hope you hurry back because... Take Sean off our hands. I can't run the softball team. So, so Sean, Sean's already in morning. Sean, are you frozen? Oh. No, 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 no. I just, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure he wanted that out there. But that's okay. It's a nice thought. Yeah, we want, to, we want to support our friends in their time of need. And we are brought to you by David Hall of Hall Financial and Luke Nowacki of Pinnacle Wealth Strategies, speaking of friends who help people in their time of need, and the Cadu Cafe. We're going to tell you a little bit more about what's going on at the Cadu later this week. You know it's live music, great food, and, uh, and you can go there just about any week and find something happening. If you go there at the right time of week, I'll be sitting there waiting for you to buy me a beer. But no muscles, please. I don't eat muscles. Is your back sore, by the way? 
from slapping it yourself all the time? Uh, something I was going to slap, but I just can't reach there because of the way the studio's configured. But we can, we can make up for that later. But we have a great guest. Uh, this guest and Sean have something in common. They are both columnists. They're both prolific. They're both easily recognized. The big difference is one of them is merited induction into the Hall of Fame. The other one is mired in self-shame. But that's okay. That's why Sean's just here to contribute. And Jim Farland, McFarlane is here to carry the load. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Gentlemen, my pleasure. You guys don't need guests. You're entertaining enough all by yourselves. That's not what our wives say. But. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're on a podcast. <laughs> but obviously they have terrible judgment because they married us. So who can trust them? Now, Jim, Jim is married very well, which is why he's not in Detroit anymore. But for many years, if you picked up the Detroit News, and I believe also the Metro Times and various other publications, you got the straight dope from Jim about what's going on in the music scene, what's going on on the airwaves, and a whole lot more. Jim, uh, it was great to hear your stories on Sunday night when you were inducted. And uh, like many of the greats, you were very modest and they try and limit you to three minutes. But I was the guy who got up when you said, I don't have time to tell the Bill Bond story. And I started the shout of, tell it, tell yes. it, tell it. And I'm so glad you did because it was worth every second. Well, Bill, as you may remember, I hope you, your viewers and listeners remember him well because he was real special. He was on so many levels. But His uh, hairpiece yeah, has a show on this network. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, okay. yeah, it's very popular. But, but in TV news in Detroit, in his era, there was none more recognizable, none more famous, none more controversial, uh, none more bald. Uh, they had <laughs> so many things going for him. And um, do you want to tell a story now or do you want to? Well, you know, I, oh, I yeah. really just want to turn the mic over to you to tell your favorite stories. And we'll take them in whatever order, because the ones I heard, I'd be I'd be hard pressed to tell you which was better than the others because they were all fantastic. You're too kind. Well, let me. The, the Bonster is one of my favorites, and I actually it threw me off my game last night during the acceptance speech because I hadn't planned to tell it. I really thought I would tell it later after the ceremony was over. But you, thanks to you, ML, and your enthusiastic response, I told the story and, and went totally off my timing and ended up forgetting to think about it a dozen people. But that's okay because the story was good. Anyway, uh, this one happened years and years ago at the old Detroit Press Club downtown. They were having some big special event, and all the big hitters were there, Sonny Elliott and Bond, all, all the people in that era, Al Ackerman. And I'm just, you know, the TV guy for the news walking through just to soak up the atmosphere. And I see Bill Bonds in a corner, corner booth by himself, nursing a cocktail. And I could understand why no one was sitting with him because it's Bill Bonds. So I just kind of tried to walk by the, the his area uh, inconspicuously, and he stopped me and said, Jimmy, come here. Oh, crap. What have I done now? What does Bill want to talk? Why does he want to talk to me one-on-one -on -one at the press club? So I'm sitting down expecting the execution to begin, and he looked at me and said, Jimmy, I got to tell you, you're doing a hell of a job covering TV for the news. I, I read your stuff all the time. It's accurate. It's non-political. You don't take sides. You just go around. I just really do a great job. Okay. Thank you, Bill. I was touched, and he went in his pocket, took out a business card, wrote his cell phone number on the back, and said, here's my number. If you ever need me for anything, don't be afraid to call. I said, well, thank you very much. So, of course, like two weeks go by, and he's pulled over for something or got in some kinds of rage, some big thing happened, and so I take out the card, <laughs> and I call his number. 
And I say, hey, Bill, it's Jim McFarland. He went, how'd you get his number? Who gave you this number? Said, uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a ball of fun. Um, <laughs> well, did you explain to him? Like, uh, you did. I just saw you. And he's like, I yeah. wasn't there. No, he denied it. He, that could, he would never have done that to a newspaper reporter. I'd never give you my personal number. That would never happen. How many cocktails did he had? I'm sure he lost count and I wasn't counting. So, but you know, that was not, uh, unusual for Mr. Bonds. Uh, no, I remember watching him one time walk out of the golden mushroom and nearly face plant on the curb. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a long time ago. That is not the right I remember seeing him outside of um, Comerica holding court, I think, before opening day, just in his suit, just talking to everybody. I mean, he liked talking to people. He's a good dude. Uh, when he he did he did a journalism stakeout, which is kind of like the gridiron dinner they had in Washington. They tried to revive this, and it raised a lot of money for charities, and he was one of the keynote people. Mm-hmm. And during his speech... To and I think he softened with age once he wasn't sort of the man in town. But to salute the crowd, he he lifted up his toupee as if he was doffing his cap. <laughs> I want to pay money to see that. Oh yeah, and I think he also did it at the Hall of Fame Journalism Hall of Fame dinner when Diana Lewis was inducted. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen the top of his dome a couple times, and I'll tell you, as silly looking as that rug was. He was better with it than without it. Ooh, ooh, that hurts. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> I think it's just because you saw the other half of the Velcro underneath it, so <laughs> looked like, like a, a real bad story. brush cut, you know. <laughs> but Jim, you got some great stories, and, and you started out uh, in Western Michigan. You're, you're not a Detroiter. You made your way to Detroit. Tell us a little bit about how you started, how you got into rock and roll, and what brought you to our fair city. Well, my first newspaper gigs right out of college was at the Grand Rapids Press in Grand Rapids, and that was only because I had done such a bad job as a communications major at my alma mater, Hope College, that I went to the journalism professor, who was also the managing editor of the Grand Rapids Press, and I asked him point blank, am I barking up the wrong tree here? Do I have any talent doing this at all? I mean, should I be a writer? He said, Jim, you're a fine writer. The only problem, you never came to class. I was like, oh, you should have told me. I would have come more often. So he invited me to come to the newspaper and just, he said, we have no jobs, but just come and, you know, you'll meet the publisher, the editor, you'll do some uh, test things just to get the feel of what it's like to apply at a newspaper someday. And because God was on my side, I went there, I did the practice run, filled out the application, and a person I knew who was a staff writer at the newspaper resigned the same day. And uh, since my application, my fake application on the top of the pile, they called me and brought me back. And that's when my newspaper career started in Grand Rapids. I started covering rock and roll because I was a cocky cub reporter. I was covering police beat at the time. Uh, and ZZ Top was performing at the big downtown arena in Grand Rapids. Then it was the Civic Auditorium. And I was walking by the assignment desk. And I heard a bunch of the editors talking about, has anyone ever heard of ZZ Top? Does anyone know who these people? Is it a knitting group? What is going? I don't. Know. And I just out of college and knowing music was outraged. And I, I I don't remember standing on a table like Norman Ray, but I, I remember being very <laughs> out of it. And I was like, "You people call yourselves the arbiters of, of culture and taste and what goes on in your city. You don't know who ZZ Top is. You should be ashamed of yourselves." And they said, "Okay, smartass, you know so much. Why don't you cover the show?" So, well, I think I just went. And so I did. And that was my first professional concert review. 
Um, of course, I was a police beat reporter at the time, so on the night desk, they re-edited it so it sounded like a police story. Uh, <laughs> I when, like, there was a concert in Grand Rapids last night, period. <laughs> it was called Beauty Top, period. They were very good, period. I said, I didn't write this, but that was my first published review, and it kind of took off from there. I just kind of assimilated myself into the newspaper's library because they didn't have one, and until that time, they didn't know they needed it. But uh, concerts had just started to come back to Grand Rapids, and I became a regional critic. I was doing shows in Kalamazoo and Lansing, and wherever there was a, a fairly name attraction doing a live show, I would get to go there and cover it for the newspaper. So that was my start. Did you know immediately, like, oh, yeah, I'd much rather cover rock and roll and do reviews and be a critic than covering the police beat? I mean, was that instantaneous? Oh, uh, yeah. No question, Mark. I mean, I was the first black police reporter in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Let that soak around in your head. Um, they were not used to seeing a black man on that side of the bar. So when I would go into the squad room, it was like, who is he and why is he here? It took a long time to gain confidence of, in the police department. I remember one night I was driving home after a concert review. I know, so I was long before. I was driving home after a, a late deadline on the police beat. I was driving home uh, and I got pulled over. And I hadn't done anything wrong that I knew of. I was on the speed limit. It was 2 in the morning, so I wasn't going to speed home. And the cop got out of his cruiser. He walked to my window, shined a flash out of my face, and said, oh, it's you. And turned around and walked back to his car like, oh, I can't mess you up because you're in yeah. a police report. Uh, I, to this day, I wonder what he would have done had he not recognized me. But I won't think about that. Uh, but, yeah, it was the police beat was hard just because of who I was and what what Grand Rapids was back in the 70s, how little faith they had in the minority community to be the, the guy covering their department being what I looked like was not easy. So, yeah, it was, that was no no long thought process went into moving the music. And then you went from, uh, so I, I imagine you wrote for all the Booth newspapers. You would have been in uh, Saginaw, Flint, Kalamazoo, Jackson, uh, you name it. So you must have developed a bit of a following. What was it like for the bands? Because as much as Grand Rapids cops probably weren't used to seeing a black guy that they hadn't arrested or for whatever trumped up reason that may have occurred to them, I got to believe ZZ Top wasn't used to seeing a lot of black guys saying, hey, I want to ask you guys about, uh, you know, what, what brought you to Grand Rapids, which is a town that I thought probably would have had somebody reviewing the Lawrence Welk show instead of ZZ Top. <laughs> but, well, yeah, uh, there was a company, a production company, Brass Ring Productions, that had been out of the market. They were based in Detroit, and they tried to do something in West Michigan. It failed, so they stopped. They brought no shows to the west side of the state for years and years. By the time there was a synergy, by the time I got back uh, as a rock critic in Grand Rapids, they were starting to, to develop shows again along the western seaboard or, or coastline. So we got to see a lot of acts that had never played there in years. And you're right. I mean, you know, to go backstage to a band and they kind of look at you like, are you here for us? You, you, are you, have you heard our music? Do you know who we are? I mean, and, and it's, you know, some uh, suspicion, some... I won't say mistrust, but curiosity at the very least was understandable. And I understood that. So what I tried to do very hard, is, especially if it was a band I wasn't really that familiar with or hadn't really followed as a fan. Well, if I knew they were coming to town, I'd spend a few days trying to hear as much of their music as possible and find out as much about them as possible. So I could ask those questions that let them knew I knew who they were. You know, you know, just those icebreaker kind of. So when you're in, when you grew up in Denmark, you know, oh, you know, I'm from Denmark. So that just, you know, whatever I could do to ease that transition so they knew that, yes, 
here's a brother in my dressing room, but he actually knows who we are, so let's talk about it. Uh, that helped a lot. I, I, it was a lot like college, and I had to do a lot of homework for every assignment I was on. Was there an actor, an artist that um, you got really close with? Like, hey, we want Jim to to write about us, or you know, every time we come through, it's like we want Jim. Uh, was there an artist like that that you developed a close bond with? Well, the closest bond I ever had, Mark, was with Seeger. Um, I Bob invited me to his wedding, not as I was so not as a critic. But just to come and dance and eat cake, I was like, "Are you sure you want?" Okay. In fact, there's a great picture of me and Bob hanging out at the pool years and years ago. Those are days where you know Bob didn't care because he he was he knew who he was. He didn't care what I wrote about him because what the heck? In fact, that one of the coolest things, maybe the scariest thing I had happened to me when I was doing music, uh, there was a gap between albums. I don't remember if it was Guess the Wind, but there were a couple of years he was not had not done an album. There's one. Always going to come out, and he hadn't come out. Now, I, every time I see him, Bob, when's the album coming out? Soon, soon, I promise, soon. So finally, I get the call from his manager, Punch Andrews, office and says, Come to the office. He wants you to hear the album for the first time. Wow. So, All right. So I drive to Birmingham, where his manager's office was, and they put me in this little room, uh, and we had record players in those days. That should date us. Um, but there was a, a room, a chair, and a turntable. They bring the album in, they put it on the turntable, drop the needle, and close the door. So I'm going to listen to the album, you know, for the first time. I'm really, I'm really kind of, you know, like honored. Uh, about 30 seconds into the song, Bob comes in with a chair, puts the chair right across from me, oh God. and watches me listen to the album. He's not talking; he's just staring. No pressure here, um, you know, because. <laughs> he's looking at my, God forbid, I don't like a cut. He'll see it on my face. Yeah. So I'm trying to, you know, I got this big grin on trying to be like, you know, whatever it is, I like it, Bob. That was, and I, you know, we talked about that several years later and it occurred to me, he just, and I was so honored, he valued my opinion so much that he wanted to know what I thought. And he, rather than have someone tell him secondhand, he wanted to see me enjoy his music himself. But, he could have told me that then and saved me a lot of sweat. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, did, did you like it? Was it a good album? It was. Okay. Yeah. That's I, a if relief. Was, if there was a cut I didn't like, he never knew. Because <laughs> I was stone faced. I was like, whatever you got, whatever you got, I love it. But, you know, I think it's just because of the Detroit proximity, you know, I, I, Nugent and Romantics and, you know, all those guys back in the day when they're all coming out. I was just being a rock critic in Detroit in the eighties. Oh my goodness. Was I look back at that decade and those years as some of the most enjoyable of my life. Um, it was, it was hard work only because I had an editor, Cliff Ridley at the news, who was a huge supporter of not only pop music, but of live concert reviews. He thought they added a certain, uh, je ne sais quoi to mm -hmm. the, uh, feature operation. So it was not unusual for me to cover three or four shows a week. Um, if there, anybody's coming to town, uh, he wanted me to cover it. So what, I was doing literally hundreds of concert reviews a year. And uh, it didn't get old. It just got tiring after a while. You know, in fact, I, a lot I of late nights. Him. Yeah, he would. Well, yeah, because, you know, your deadline is two in the morning. The show gets out at midnight. You've got like two hours to write a review. And your head's still ringing from being sitting in front of the speaker for, for two and a half hours. So um, there's a challenge. But what was weird was that he knew 
I mean, he was old to me, and I was in my probably 20s, my 30s, but he was like in his 70s. But he knew who bands were. And some nights I try to skip by, well, you know, okay, um, who's coming to town? He won't know who these people are, so I won't mention it. And maybe I can get over. And he'd say, oh, Jim, got a minute? And I'd go to his office and say, did you know that so-and-so is playing tonight at uh, Royal Oak Musical Theater? Don't you think we should cover that? I said, damn. <laughs> You know, so I, he, I could never sneak around and miss a date if there was an up-and-coming artist coming to town or he knew about it and they were in the national scene. Uh, I had to cover it. And, uh, you know, I spent, in fact, there was a, uh, a bunk bed in one of the trailers at Pine Knob reserved for me oh, because wow. by the time I would, you know, I didn't have time to drive back downtown from Clarkston after a, a show. So they would let me file the review from the trailer and then sleep for a couple hours before I drove home. Uh, and that was during the summer. That was basically my second home. Now, would you phone those reviews in or would you use like one of those little TRS 80s where you had one line where you could only see one line of your story at a time and it was almost worse than typing something because you couldn't easily scroll through your copy to see what you liked and what you didn't like and yeah, well, that was high tech back then, man. Oh, that was oh yeah. yeah. You got the couplers on the phone and you hook it up the and the handshake. Yeah. 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 And, and hope it went through. Yeah. But there was always a, a, a positive side of that because if you needed more time, if you were still writing a past deadline, you would just say, the phone didn't connect. I'm not sure what <laughs> oh, happened. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, did you not get it? You not you didn't get the last five paragraphs. Hold on, let me try to resend. And that would buy you at least fifteen more minutes. So you could like you know keep playing that. Um, you do the best you could, but oh yeah, I hated that. I hate because it's you never knew what got through and what didn't. And sometimes things got jumbled or, or garbled, and you didn't know. And and Lord forbid the editor on the other end tried to rewrite it for you. you oh know, yeah. I think what he's trying to say is, and then you read it in the paper the next day, go. I didn't say that. I didn't write that. Who, 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 who messed with my stuff? Who's rewrite? Who's the new rock critic? Who isn't me? <laughs> now, did you ever hear from artists where you wished you could say, I didn't write that, you know, somebody else put that there, where they just blew you up? It rarely, if ever happened, I, much to my great satisfaction, you know, because uh, I do not recall someone just ripping me a new one on the phone or in person. Uh, but I do know that artists read every word, more so in radio ML than in rock and roll. I mean, um, oh, yeah. Dick, Dick Purton and I didn't speak for years because, in fact, I don't think we've spoken in years because I wrote a piece one time. He'd become the highest paid disc jockey in Detroit. He just surpassed um, McCarthy, J.P. McCarthy. And I wrote about it. I said, you know, they released a figure. I said, well, he's making X amount of money. He didn't like the fact that Detroit knew how much he was making uh, and quoted me verbatim. Years later, he could re he could recite that story word for word. When you wrote Dick Purton, come on, the highest base, I go, okay, I'm sorry. No, you know, hey, no problem. You know, suck it up, Dick. Um, but yeah, radio personnel in Detroit tend to be much more sensitive. And, and I knew, and it's like any artist, I guess, um, you don't remember the positive reviews because you think you're good. It's the negative reviews that stick with you for a long time, something that you did not like that tends to really just kind of reverberate your brain for years and decades to come. But um, to to their credit, they never really, and they could have. I mean, you know, being 
uh, a minority being a, a black guy covering rock and roll. In fact, ML, you heard this story uh, last night, I think. Um, it was so funny to me because I never wrote a review that slammed an artist. It was always my fault. You know, if mm -hmm. I if say Aerosmith was coming to town, and you know, you do a 40 day gig, you're in different cities every now, you're going to have a ringer every now, you're going to have a bad show. It's just inevitable. If it happened in Detroit, I wrote about it. You know, Aerosmith was, you know, lackluster, not their best work. I get these letters that week from fans who went, uh, Mr. McFarland, Aerosmith gave a great show at Kobo. The problem wasn't Aerosmith. The problem was you. You know, <laughs> a cultural experience with, with rock and roll music, and we understand that. Uh, you should be more sensitive or the news should find someone who's more accustomed to listening to rock and roll. Oh, I can be more objective. So then an RB act comes to town, and Lord forbid I pan them. Letters come in. Mr. McFarland, Rick James gave an excellent show last night at Joe Lewis. The problem was not Rick James. The problem was you. You've been listening to rock and roll so long. You've lost your cultural imperative. You don't understand your native music anymore. And that's sad. But please, don't cover black music anymore because you're not with us anymore. So it doesn't matter what the artist did. It was my fault because whatever the music was, I didn't understand it. It had to be me. So um, that gave me a little freedom in a sense because, hey. Uh, but at the same time, guys found it really uh, funny and unusual that it wasn't about the music. It was my cultural experience that flavored. And, and that led to what I call the McFarland Law of Expected Gratification. Which says that if you're a fan of X, let's say you spend 150 bucks a ticket to go see the Stones or Springsteen or Taylor Swift or somebody, and you go, and you know what? They gave the best damn show you've ever seen. Because if they didn't, you're an idiot who just wasted 300 bucks and out of town and can't afford rent this one. Uh, so for for someone who's objective and is coming to see the show without any kind of passion or fandom and say it was mediocre well how dare you you can't say that because the expected gratification is it's the best show you've ever seen it's like how a form of confirmation you. bias yes now dare this idiot try to tell me that it wasn't so yeah um some people were you know i heard over the years that people said well i read your reviews because it either reinforced what i already thought or it gave me a perspective i hadn't considered and and those are the people that I love to talk to. Isn't but the folks who come in blazing with their six guns saying, you know, you're, you're you bloody idiot. How dare you say that, you know, that uh, this isn't the best band that ever lived. I, how dare you? I can't believe that you wouldn't do that for my my favorite. How, oh, the nerve. You should be fired. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, which I always was a couple of times. The expectation has is, is always fascinated me. My freshman roommate, and this is in the 80s in Austin, Texas, the University of Texas. He was from Houston. He was black. His name was was Mike, and he loved Rush. And whenever, wow. whenever, <laughs> whenever we'd go out anywhere and folks would find out he'd like Rush, just the way they'd look at him. And I had a similar experience, I don't know, 15 years after that, I was washing dishes with a guy at the Bombay Bicycle Club. And uh, maybe it was 10 years after I came. I mean, his name was Mel, and he loved metal, uh, Judas Priest and all that sort of stuff. And he was mm -hmm. black. He was from Ipsy. And um, it, it was a similar thing, just the way people would react 
to those to those guys and that expectation. And and it's I don't know if you watch or see these much or not, Jim, but there's a whole series, there's a whole rabbit hole on YouTube now of largely black folks listening to white singers who they learn are white. They assume are like Bobby Caldwell. And I was thinking about this mm-hmm. recently because right. he, he died not that long ago, right? Mm-hmm. Or Simply Red or or Michael McDonald oh. or uh, I'm trying to think of the Righteous Brothers even, right? Rick Astley. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's, there's, it's not a cottage industry quite, but it's it's kind of fun to, to – to see some of this and see up expectations upended in that That's way. That's the great thing about music, though, right? I mean, yeah. it's just it you don't you don't see it, you just hear it, and it can right. mean different things to different people. It's just it's so, universal. So, yeah. Jim, if you didn't like a show, mm-hmm. how would you express that? I mean, how did the McFarland rule allow you to <laughs> report on the news, but also avoid? criticizing someone and, and opening that door for all the all the little minds who who just were going to pile on. Oh, yeah. Speaking of little minds, I'm out real quick. Uh, Wait a minute. Little minds and ML comes up in the same sentence a lot. No, Jim, you don't have to spell that out. That, that's that's uh, implied. It's understood. You don't need to say Well, that. Jim's got to go, but thanks for joining us from Champaign <laughs> or Chicago or wherever you're from there was a there was a, a grade school teacher i believe it was, she was in warren if i remember and she was you know in her 20s probably big music fan and if i reviewed a show and gave a negative review to an artist she liked she would have her students use me as a writing example i would get oh, this envelope with like 30 uh one sheets with spiral bound <laughs> notebook paper that basically said jim mr mcfarland you suck and that would be what she would have them do for their assignments. So, I, you know, um, so, yeah, to, when you said little minds, it reminded me of that. Those little minds are very attentive and, and very cooperative. And people pay good money to see their favorite artist or see a favorite artist. And they're going to have that high-minded preconception. It's going to be a great show. And I hope it is. I mean, you know, I, I know what a great show is. I've seen a few. Uh, and like I said, even if I didn't know, if you see 150 concerts a year, pretty much build up a, a, a background. You know, I mean, you, you've set a baseline for yourself. This is really good. This and that's a bad. Um, and, and I think it works from that standpoint. But I never came in thinking, oh, I'm going to slam this act because, you know, whatever. They, you know, uh, I just don't like them or the, the lead singer's ugly. Or whatever. I mean, I, I came in to hear a show. And if I came out, feeling like I'd seen a great performance, people would know about it. The, the, the real problem was that just like sports writers, like any other people who work on that kind of deadline, you know, when the show is over, you've got about two hours to be brilliant. You know what I mean? If that. If that, right, exactly. So you want to tell the story, but you also want to be, you know, when you're a critic, you have some some leeway to be flamboyant and, and tell things in a different way and, and and use what little vocabulary you have to to express yourself, but you don't have a lot of time to sit and ruminate over. Well, is this adjective better than that? What I mean, you're just, you're, your fingers are just flying because in those days the composer guys would leave, and there'd just be a hole in the paper the next day. If you're not done by two in the morning, we're out of here. So we ain't staying up for you. So you know, no pressure. I used to tell myself, "You've got two hours to be brilliant," um, and uh, I only wish I wrote that fast these days. Well, that's what's so tough then compared to now is now you can go back and you can revise stuff and most people are going to see it online, but no matter what you wish you'd said, no matter what, what got lost in translation when you were sending it from 
Clarkston to downtown, when that printed edition comes out, that may as well be a stone tablet because that's it, man. There's not you. You can't fix it. You can't change it. You're gonna live with that, and that's that's a lot of pressure. No kidding. First draft of history. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's like you know, uh, and God forbid you get a song title wrong oh. or, you know, or or confuse the saxophonist with the lead guitarist. The way you know, if if a fan spots an error, then the whole review. Is discounted. It you, undermines everything, yeah. right? Well, and you right. can't. You know, you're an idiot. You know what you're talking about. Yeah, back yeah. then you couldn't go and look something up online and say, "Was that their second album or their third album?" I mean, there was no, there was no Wikipedia. There was no search engine. And and I'm sure you've heard this. Uh, I wrote a couple comedy reviews, and I heard this because one of the shows I didn't like is. That's easy for you to say. You got in for free. And I paid such and such, and Robin Williams was at his best, and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. now the free oh, yeah. press had a policy where we would pay for tickets, but you can't really retort. You just say, well, you know, I mean, I would like it to be funny whether I got in for free or whether it was a 500 bucks, right? I mean, <laughs> just just be funny. Just be funny. I'm not asking much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true. Um, uh, Tim Allen and I have, have become friends over the years, and I, I did some stand-up comedy for a while because – because of that, because, you know, I, I thought I was pretty funny, but when you're around professional comedians, they look at you like you've lost your mind. Why are you trying to talk to us and try to be funny? Don't go away. So I then picked up a mic for uh, a couple of years, actually. I would have kept doing it except for the fact that I, no matter how late I worked uh, the night before, I had to be at the news at 8 a.m. the next morning. Oh. Uh, they were soulless back in those days. So, so yeah, and you know, stand-up, you don't go on till midnight. So to do a... Uh, do your act and then try to make it in looking like you're almost awake at eight in the morning. I said, I got to, you know, the, the newspapers pay in stand up ain't paying. I got to do newspapers because it's, I need money. I need rent. Um, but yeah, it's, there's nothing worse than that. You got in for free argument. So, you know, but, but that's the very reason you can be objective because you didn't pay for a ticket and to, you know, and, and it was so funny to me that, you know, I had this great, option to go to shows for free so of course i want to take dates you know and like you know hey what a great gig i can take her and it's great because <laughs> it's good to have someone next to you has either competing opinion or add something they may respond in a way you didn't or see something you didn't so having someone with you who's is a great thing but when the show is over honey you know call a cab uh i'll see you tomorrow <laughs> i can't take you home that's I a win-win yeah, so the trade-off, you get a show for free, but find your own way home. That's it. But, um, yeah, it's it, it, it was a very strange lifestyle, a very strange career to have. Uh, I'm so thankful I had it because it was so – looking back at it now, it was a lot of fun. It's a Hall, it's a hall of Fame fun. career. Um, yes, I, well, yes, it is. It is that. Thanks. You've done uh, profiles on lots of artists. I was telling you before the show – uh, you did a, a really good profile on Drew and Mike. I still actually have that magazine. And believe it or oh, not, wow. Drew still has that magazine. And he didn't save anything. So <laughs> that, that must that must speak volumes of something. Because uh, he, he, remember, he remembered the picture and everything with them holding cigars. Well, um, cigars, yeah. That was, the, they were the, that was one of the magazines I launched in Detroit. I've yeah. done about four or five. And they were the cover of the first issue. And they were so... I remember hanging out with them in the studio for a while and, and great interviews. I'm, I'm so thankful they led to peace because it was so much fun to do. And, but, you know, and, and at the time, as you know, they were the hottest things in Detroit. So the fact that they would consent 
to be on the cover of a fledgling magazine that had no experience, no history, no readership was uh, a great honor. But I wanted to ask you, was there ever an artist um, that maybe they're, they're, um, you, you were a little apprehensive in talking to because you were afraid they were going to explode on you or you know maybe they were just a little testy. Was there ever an artist like that and then you ended up getting something out of them that nobody else got out of them? My favorite one, I, I, very quick, the two. One was Nugent, of course, because yep. he was Nugent. Um, and I'll never forget, I went backstage to talk to him after a concert, I think it was a Kobo, and there was a table full of sushi, row upon row of raw fish. I'd never seen so much of any particular food of any kind in my life. He said, McFarland, come over here. <laughs> I walk over here. And he actually took my, the back of my head and pushed my face down in the sushi. Oh, jeez. What do you think about that? I like that. Now, I love sushi to this day, but I would never have tried it had news had not pushed my face in it. So I actually almost got it back. But yeah, that was a, the, the best one was Jerry Lee Lewis playing at the old um, DBs in Dearborn. And um, those, that uh, hotel had a lot of big name acts in those days. And I'm riding up. He's at the penthouse, of course. And he's getting ready to go on stage. And so I get to interview him before the show. And his road manager is going up in the service elevator with me. He's looking at me and says, so you're going to try to interview the killer, huh? huh? Yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm, from, I'm with the Detroit News. And, hmm, you know you know why they call him the killer? I said, no, because he hates me. He huh. hates to be interviewed. He hates just the fact that you, I don't know why they even set this interview up. Because okay. I've seen him chew up writers and spit them out. But good luck to you. So we're at the elevator, and I can hear my knees knocking when I get off the elevator. I'm like, oh, going to be the most <laughs> I have never been worse in an interview. I sat down, and, oh, Mr. Lewis, it, it, it's yeah. nice to meet you. And, and, and uh, have you been to Dearborn before? I mean, I was asking the worst questions I'd ever had. I would just. Have I you married to- any local teens? Right, right, right. <laughs> have you have you have you observed our, our yeah, woman's stuff? Have, have you been to the local elementary school? How's Dance? your cousin? Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so after about three minutes, I can't stand hearing me anymore. I just stand up and go, Mr. Lewis, uh, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm turning to walk out, and he looked up at me and said, Hey, don't you want to ask me about my cousin? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I sat back down. We had a great time. We had, you know, he's telling me stories about the past. I, I don't remember how the story came out when I wrote it, but it was rollicking for about 20 minutes. And his, I found out later his term manager loved to do that just to set writers up. Oh, God. How oh, annoying. For fun. His, 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 he had so little enjoyment on the road. One thing he'd do was scare the hell out of media people, and he enjoyed doing that. So <laughs> I didn't have to be a delightful guy, but I did not know that going in. I was scared shitless. And he just died. When he died, I think the thing that surprised me was that he was still alive. Yes, yes. Because when I you live that. like that, you know, how do you keep it up? <laughs> so to speak. Yes, well. I, I, I can't agree with you more. And I just found out that they heard Blaine finally died. And, um, yeah, just, had, just in the last 24 hours, right? Right. I had the same impression. I thought he passed away a while ago. So <laughs> I'm like, 
And I wasn't as sad as I might have been initially because, oh, he is? I mean, he was like 97, so I actually thought he'd been, been had left us quite some time ago. But yeah, a lot of times, you, especially artists, entertainment artists, you say, any year they get, I mean, Mick Jagger's still alive. You know, I mean, Keith Richards still Keith alive. Keith Richards, yeah, there you go. What is that happening? You know what I mean? So, so when things like that happen, you're not too surprised because the big surprise, they're still around. They're still with us. So, Jim, what were some of your, your favorites and least favorite favorite shows, favorite uh, acts, maybe favorite radio or television personalities? Because you wrote a lot about those folks, too. Besides favorite, Drew and Mike. Podcasts. Besides Drew and Mike. Besides Drew and Mike. Yo, take the lock <laughs> Okay, off the table. Um, a couple of quick stories jumped to mind. One was there was a TV show in on CBS, I think it might have been the 80s, called Evening Shade. Oh, yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. With Lansing's Burt own Burt Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, uh, I was in L.A. Uh, that was a great perk of being a TV critic. Got to go to L.A. on the company's dime twice a year to interview the the new uh, show stars and, and see the previews of the new series and all that stuff. So they had a big uh, – CBS had this big party for – it was a big ensemble cast. So everybody's in the room. Bert's there and, and Hal Holbrook, all the people. And you'd be like, talk to anybody you wanted to. In the corner, just standing there by himself, is Ossie Davis. Oh, wow. And I'm like, and I'm the, I think I was the only black critic in the room. And I'm sitting there going, the the hero of of, of, of black theater is standing right here. Ruby D, and they were legends. They're still, and no one's talking to this guy. Wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm bummed, but I'm excited. I walk over, I introduce myself, his face brightens. We spend a half hour. Talking about the Harlem Renaissance, talking about the movies he's been in and the stars. I had it was one of the best things I've ever done, and I it only happened because no one knew who he was except me. And I was like, I could not believe that that happened. Uh, on the other hand, um, I never interviewed Aretha Franklin, and that's uh, a great sadness of my life. I know why it happened. Um, uh, back early in my career in Detroit, so it would have been like in the late 70s, early 80s. There, they used to have these R&B, uh, I don't know what to call them, endless R&B shows. They would last like six, eight hours. Like Ashford and Simpson and Frankie Beverly and Mays. And uh, like five acts would lead up to the headliner. That night at Joe Lewis, Aretha was the headliner. So, of course, the place is packed to see the Queen of Soul in Detroit. But after five acts, and they have to change the set for every act. So there's like a 45-minute delay between artists. By the time she gets on the stage, it's after midnight. The energy's gone in the stadium. Half the crowd is left, and, and she's pissed off because it's after midnight. Don't you people know why? I'm reviewing the concert. Quick aside, I brought my roommate uh, because his girlfriend demanded they see the show, and he begged me for tickets, so, okay, I'll get you tickets. So we're sitting here. He's starting to throw him back at the first show. By the time Aretha's on, he's in the back. <laughs> I, I decide I can't review a show with sitting next to the drunk boy over here. So I go up to the press box so I can continue that. When he realizes that I'm gone, he says, where's Jim? I want to find Jim. He gets up and goes to the backstage area. Oh, boy. And, and starts shouting my name. Jim McFarland. Where's Jim McFarland? Well, all they hear... Backstage is Jim McFarlane. 
So they think I'm the drunk guy trying to get backstage. I know nothing of this. And Aretha comes out. It was like a lackluster 20-minute performance. She sings about three to two. And you can tell them she's tired. She doesn't want to be there. She's pissed off. She wants to go home. So she sings a little so and basically walks off stage. That's the review I wrote. You know, it was a long show. Aretha was not at her best. Well, the next day, I go to the work, go to work at the paper. And I see a bunch of people milling around outside. I don't think much of it. I come to find out her brother, Cecil Franklin, the late Reverend Cecil Franklin, organized a picket line protesting my review and demanding my immediate firing because they heard some drunk guy came backstage and because he couldn't get in, he wrote a negative review. I got hauled before the publisher of the paper and praise God, I had enough colleagues in the press box who said, we saw Jim. He was not drunk. He was writing his little took us off. And I got out. But the fact that he cared enough to organize a picket line overnight, demanding my immediate dismissal, means that, you know, people take that stuff seriously. Uh, lest you, you know, unless as a critic, you think that no one really cares about what you write. Nothing could be farther from the oh, truth. Yeah. People, people care about the news and public affairs, but they really care about entertainment. They care about their movie stars and their rock artists. I mean, that, that's from the heart. And if you slam somebody I love, whose music I've admired for decades, oh, you need to account for it. You, you need to have a reckoning, because how dare you do that? And so I was always aware that my words carried power, uh, and, you know, and you never know who's going to be reading it, but you do know that you'll have an impact no matter what side of the great offense your readers sit on. I've always loved music and entertainment and sports, but I've never wanted to cover them because I always feared that the more I got to know those people, the less I'd like them. And, so, and did you ever have something like that where you said, boy, I'll tell you what, until I met so-and-so, I was a big fan. I mean, did you, did it lose some of that, that mystique and that magic to kind of get in the kitchen and see how things were being cooked up? It did. It did sometimes. No question about it. And I mean, I, I never understood Prince. He was so mercurial and so deep. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't an interview. It was more like just, why are you asking me questions? <laughs> and then the answers to the questions never quite matched the questions you were asking. So, I mean, that gave you a new perspective on his music. And I, there's still a vault full of music that we haven't heard yet that, that long after his passing, he was, one of the most great people I've ever met in my entire life, but talking to him would not make you a fan of his, if you know what I mean. I mean, you wouldn't come away saying, I, I'm so excited now because I've gotten to talk to him in person. It's more like, I wish I hadn't talked to you in person because I like your music so much. Um, I remember, I used to love Eddie Money because he would, he was so, Eddie Money knew he had no reason being the star he was. Mm. He was a cop, he, right? I mean, who got into music. Cop. X-Cop had no voice to speak of, but he was a man selling album artist. I mean, he was doing great. So he would, when we were doing like phone interviews, he would call me and do all these prank things. I I get the phone and uh, Jimmy Carlin, this is Officer Edward Mahoney at the Detroit Police Department, and I want you to know that there's a warrant out for your arrest, and we're coming to get you in 20 minutes. And he would just like, Eddie, it's you. I mean, some people really enjoy being star he enjoyed being a star because he knew he had no reason being one and so he just milked it and 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 loved it for all it was but a lot of those things when you know most artists will do advanced interviews 
prior to coming to, to the, the place they're touring. And I always used to ask them, where am I on the list? Because I knew what they would do, what the, what the manager would do, they'd stick them in a hotel suite with a long list of critics or writers, and they had to interview each one. And I'd say, oh, my, talk about punishment, getting the same. So how's the tour going? And I tell me about the new album. How many times can we ask that question? You know, it's like, so I wanted to know if I'm on the top of the list, I'll ask those stupid questions. But I'm like, if I'm the 14th person you talked to this morning, I'm going to be creative. I'm going to come at you from a totally different attitude because I need something fresh. And so do you. Um, and, you know, people think about celebrity being so wonderful and so exciting. There are parts of that really, truly suck. And I think one of them is talking to critics talking to writers because you know a lot of critics uh myself included i'm sure have big egos of their own i mean you know you work for a major daily newspaper you're read by thousands of people and you know it um you sometimes come at your job with a sense of inflated ego and you're talking to uh, a, a rock and roll artist or a pop artist who sold millions of copies they got a bit of ego too so there, there's there could be a natural clashing of of big brains or big egos or big emotions coming into play. And so my job was to try to get the best out of you without trying to over-talk you. And I, I hear interviews now all the time where the interviewer sounds like they know more than the person they're talking oh, to yeah. and they want people to know it. Yeah. So they barely, they barely get a chance to have the person answer the question. Uh, you know, see you soon, Tucker Carlson. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lot more difficult over the years as uh, as the whole venue the whole stratosphere of entertainment has changed would you find that artists now like a lot of athletes go directly to fans as opposed to go through the critic or through what we would have considered the traditional media stru- structure yeah oh well, no question i mean look at taylor swift is the best example she needs no one she's got a whole arm in it if she decided to go to war against the country she'd have mm-hmm. And million women ready to, to take up arms. You know, I mean, to, uh, it's much easier for the artist, and you're dealing with a crowd of people, usually in the hundreds of thousands or millions, who adore you. Uh, how can that be a bad thing? So, a lot of times it's left to the modern music critic to try and catch up, uh, or sometimes to join a fandom, uh, j- jump on TikTok for a band you don't even like, because otherwise you'll, you'll miss a pipeline of information. That, that fans get that you don't get. So, you know, it would be, I think, ludicrous to not become part of that fandom if for no other reason than to find out that what's going on that you may not see in Variety or the New York Times or the mass media. Now, when Drew came to town, he mm-hmm. they, they stepped into the pretty big seat there because when I was growing up, it was uh, JJ and the Morning Crew. And, uh, and I, I think I was out of Detroit by the time Drew got here, what was that like? Was that, were there a lot of people saying, Hey, wait a minute, what happened? What happened to the guys we like? Who's this new guy? Was it, <laughs> was it like when, uh, when they got rid of Ernie Harwell or did Drew, did, did little, Drew hit the ground little, running? Little, little side note on that too. Cause when you were talking about Dick Burton, remembering your review, just uh-huh. ask Drew someday about Bob Talbert because Bob Talbert ripped him to shreds pretty early on. <laughs> yeah, he, he never, he has never forgotten that. For what it's worth, Jim, you can write anything you want about me as long as it includes the phrase "Elric now earns a million dollars a year." I don't give a <laughs> shit what you write after that. Just make sure that line's in there, and it's true. I mean, it'll never be true, but it'd be nice. Yeah. Um. 
When I remember, it was a very rough launch for Drew and Mike because JJ and George had been, you know, so famous in the steam. TV commercials built around them. They had, you know, they had a loyal following. Uh, they wore morning radio for for AOR, and um, it was hard. It, you know, but but the the management knew it was going to be tough, and Drew and Mike had to know it was going to be hard. Um, and I admire them and applaud them for for holding the course and sticking to it because it's you know when you're out there trying to just do your job and be entertaining and and, and morning radio is hard to begin with. I mean, be, you know, you guys know this. Being with someone whether you like them or not, four hours a day starting at six in the morning, uh, you can't do that with your wife, you know. And having to then have a post production meeting where you go over stuff for the next day. I mean, it's a morning radio. It's a grind. Like anybody, it's hard job. And to do it for years and years, you know, uh, uh, I'm surprised Drew and Mike still speak to each other, quite frankly. I mean, so that's, it's hard. you got to really, really love your brother on the air to, to, to maintain a relationship like that. So, yeah, their early uh, months were no picnic by any means, but they, they held the course. We struggle and, with just once a week. What's that, here? <laughs> yeah, it's tough enough. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you're not included in that mark, of course. Um, Jim, I want, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, sometimes you're going to have to profile an art, especially in music where there's some, something in the background that everybody knows about, but I, you know, I was just thinking about like Michael Jackson, right? Everybody knows about those allegations or Bill Cosby. Those were kind of out there. Did you ever interview people like that? And, And how did you approach the, you know, maybe the criminal or, or legal aspect to it and, I mean, because they don't want to talk about that, but you almost have to address it. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things come to mind, Mark. One, you're absolutely right. Uh, what I tried to do is not be direct about it, but try to ask the kinds of questions that might denote or create a response that would be close to it. You're going to, you know, you got to write about it. And you're probably going to write about it based upon all the historical material you have at your disposal. You'd like the artist to comment on it, but if he or she doesn't, uh, you're not going to hold them to, you know, against the wall and say, talk about that allegation. You you have to talk about it. Uh, You you want it to be as cordial as possible. It should not be. I I hate confrontational interviews. They don't really uh, serve a purpose. They don't get the material you want to get as a rule. But yeah, I would try to. Maybe, you know, like uh, Sammy Davis Jr., I try to dance all around it until <laughs> you get through it. And then maybe you might mention, ironically, you know, growing up, uh, my hero, without question, was Bill Cosby. I have said for years that I got my sense of comedic timing. I think the, my writing reflected his sense of humor. I would buy his albums sure. the moment they were released and, and read them, listen to them, listen to them to, um, listen to them uh, front to back and memorize the skits and all that. So I had a chance to interview Bill in person several times over my career. And that was really hard because there are not many times where you're such a gushing fan and that you can't be objective. That was me. I was like, I'm talking to my hero from grade school. I mean, it's like, so it was, as all those allegations rolled out, uh, we, uh, we talked about a lot of things we rarely talked about. We didn't mention all the allegations that came after it. And that's, that's my feeling as a journalist, but yeah, there's, know, there's, there's, there's a really, there's a really good documentary about 
almost exactly what you explained. All these people that looked up to him and, and learned his patter and what he did. I, and, and it was kind of, how do you reconcile with what he had done? But you mentioned Jerry Lee Lewis. So you kind of, I mean, that got off to a really bad start, but then Jerry Lee brings up his cousin and it kind of opens the door. I just didn't know if it ever happened with any other artist. Yeah, well, and, and he was TV's dad. I mean, yeah. the hearts he broke when the revelation came out. I can attest to it because mine was shattered. But, you know, a lot of people looked, especially in the black community. I mean, you know, Brandon Tartikoff at NBC was such a, an amazing Man, I mean, what a chance he took because most people in America at the time couldn't envision a family where the, the father was a doctor and the mother mm-hmm. was a lawyer and they have well-dressed kids in a black community in Philadelphia. That, you know, that's fantasy. That, we knew that there are families like that in Detroit. There are families like that all over America. But the, you never saw them on TV until the Cosby show. So to know that and then to see what happens to Bill later in life, that's just, that's heartbreaking. I mean, that's just, you know, that. I can't even begin to articulate why, how deep that pain was to find out the man behind the mask. Um, but yeah, the, you're right. They're always going to be, um, you can't be, especially these days with social media mm-hmm. and TV, you can't live a, a public life that has any sense of privacy. I mean, people are going to find they're hiding in the bushes. They're, they're doing podcasts. They're, they're, they're trying to find a way to expose you. It's almost like we, we don't want if It's like we want you to be on top so we can bring you down. Yeah, it's TMZ, right? Yeah. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, their whole show is pre- predicated on finding the rich and famous and the popular and showing that they're not so great. And, and covering entertainment, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you'd be you'd be uh, you'd be interviewing swordsmen, you know, men who uh, oh, there were so many women, they must be you know yeah. great. Now it's right, like right. they're predators, they're creeps. They're this if you were to talk to Steven Tyler, I think Drew and Mike were talking about that yeah. book where he's talking about taking some underage girl around and acting as her guardian so he could take her on tour. I mean, boy, if I sat down with Steven Tyler, I'd, I'd say, hey, you know. Uh, <laughs> Before we get to the new record, I, I got to ask yeah, you, ask you know, <laughs> what's, what's with the white van in the park there, you know? It's- yeah, but based on Jim's story, um, Aerosmith would probably say it's, it's something about you, not them, right? right. Yeah, yeah. You're just looking at the wrong way. Exactly. You're misinterpreting what you're saying. Yeah, well, that's I am your guardian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she's better for it. Well, before we let Jim go, I, I want to note something that, that a lot of people may not know or may have been lost to the mists of time. But as you can tell, he's he's well worthy of, of the Hall of Fame, a great storyteller, man who's seen a lot, told a lot, maybe maybe told some more now than he would have told when he was when he was working the beat because uh, it can be tough to walk into those rooms sometimes when you give them the full story. But when the newspaper strike happened in the mid-90s, Jim left the Detroit News, and he didn't come back. And if you think about these jobs, these rock critic jobs, these are few and far between, and they are highly prized, and people cling to them like grim death. But Jim did what he thought was right and put it all on the line and, in fact, did not come back to the Detroit News. So, Jim, for, for your integrity, I want to absolutely tip my cap to you. But what did you do when they called and said, hey, it's over. It's time to come back. Come on home. That was one of the worst times of my life. and Because um, you're right. I did enjoy the heck out of what I was doing. 
And it was heartbreaking. Uh, in fact, I was in L.A. I was a TV critic at the time. I was in L.A. covering the beat, looking at shows, and there was a rumor that the strike was going to happen while I was on the road. And I said to myself, well, you know, if it happens, I'm in L.A., I got the company's money in the hotel room. They can't get to me. I guess I wouldn't really have to come back. But I thought about it. I said, no, they'll get me some kind of way. If I if I hang out here for another week and a half and on the company's dime, that's not going to be a good thing. So I I um, took the red eye, left a Fox Theater, a Fox TV pool party, hanging out with, with uh, Jason Priestley, and said, I got to go. So I get home. And um, it was horrible, as, as you may know. I mean, we lost lives. We lost careers. People... You know, when you work for a major newspaper, your last name becomes the newspaper. You know, I'm Jim McFarlane of the Detroit News. And when that of the Detroit News leaves, you're just Jim McFarlane. And for a lot of people, the ego couldn't take that. You know, you people losing houses because they couldn't pay the mortgage. And, you know, strike pay was was negligible, almost infinitesimal. Um, but uh, when they offered me the job to come back, they said, we will bring you back as the farm and garden writer. Uh, well, what do you think about it? And I said, well, clearly, this is the way that you punish me for um, you know, stepping out with my union and standing up for what we believe in. So no, screw that. Um, and I went to work for uh, an advertising agency. I worked for Campbell Ewald for a while. And I did some other things. Worked for Wayne State for several years. Uh, found other gigs, but I always got a chance to freelance because I think, to your point, um, I wouldn't say it's because of my integrity, but I think that people knew that I had not gone back to the news, and as a result, I ended up working for the Metro Times. I was the TV critic for the Metro Times for a number of years. Uh, Metro Times, Our Detroit. Uh, in fact, I was I was so proud of this. I was working. Most freelancers can't work for more than one publication in a certain market. I worked for about six magazines in Detroit or Metro Detroit. You know, I was, I was, I was, uh, and there was no sense of competition. No one ever said, well, you can't write for us if you write for them. They're like, no, dude, come in, write for us. Um, so that was a great mark of honor for me. But yeah, I, I would have come back as the rock critic or the TV critic, but I am not a farmer and I didn't know a lot about, you know, not by hoes. Um, or or shovels or anything like that, tractors. So I just told them no and uh, didn't go back. You had to draw the line. It's one thing to listen to ZZ Top, but right? Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right about combines. Well, they're nothing to do topsoil, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and, the, and the free press lost its rock critic the same way, too, when Gary Graff left and, and didn't come back. Right. So. So, you know, for your body of work, obviously the journalistic excellence has been recognized, but for the quality of your character too, we don't have a hall of fame here, but we absolutely have to make sure that people know about that, that you're not only great at what you did, but inside there's something strong there that's willing to walk away from how you made your reputation because there was right and wrong and you weren't going to do wrong to go back to do something that you enjoyed, at least not for the people who were spreading some manure by asking you to come back and spread some manure. So, so Jim, for, for everything you've done and for the things you're still doing, we really appreciate you and respect you and are grateful for this time you gave us today. 
Well, ML, you're too kind. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and an honor. This is my first podcast as a guest, so I'm I'm honored to be here. Where uh, where can people read you now if they want to read something? I know you're freelancing. Uh, well, I'm still popular in the Metro Times. I've got three pieces coming in the Metro Times in the next couple of months. I still write for Our Detroit. I write for Wayne State Magazine. Um, what else? What else? What else? Do you have a twi- um, Do you have a Twitter or a Facebook? You can, we can pass on. Uh, yeah. Um, you. No. I haven't fed it in a while, so I'm a little embarrassed. But I I do a blog. Um, JK just kidneying. I'm a kidney transplant recipient of uh, 12 years and counting. So occasionally I will talk about related issues that that are not always about medical issues, but just some things that I find very unusual about being either a transplant survivor or just life in general. Uh, There's that one. I still occasionally write about uh, media and uh, music and TV on another blog called Big Glowing Box. Uh, But again, I've been working on a book uh, it's so funny. I don't mean to waste your time, but you know, um, I'm writing. I'm ghostwriting a book right now for a Detroit-based, or Detroit-born, actually, Detroit-born DJ who is uh, a bit of a legend, especially in, uh, in New York City. And um, hmm. because of all the people I grew up with in Detroit, we're all now at that age. Most of them are thinking about, well, it's time to write my memoirs because I've had a very distinguished career. Well, the only writer they know is me. So I'm getting, if I wanted to, I could write memoirs and, and for the next 20 years, I mean, it's like, I have, I'm three books deep. I have, I'm working on this book and I've got two people waiting in the wings to say, please write my book when I'm done. Uh, so, so that may be my cottage industry for the next 10 years or so, as long as I'm around. But uh, I just find it very funny that uh, someone, I need a writer. Who could it be? Jim, he writes, let's talk to him. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually beating clients away. Which is kind of good, Jim. Real quickly, uh, you're repping the you're, you're repping the Tigers hat. Is that your team? Or, oh man, you know, it's or, so the, or the or the or the or is it the Lions or the Pistons? Oh, the Tigers are no one's team. I mean, you know, I was. Who's I your favorite? So blessed. Favorite team? Tigers. No doubt. Okay, no so you're a baseball guy. All right. And by the way, so I saw Trammell Whitaker turn double play. I saw Barry Sanders in my own eyes. I saw the Bad Boys. In the nineties, I've seen you know, some of the greatest moments in Detroit sports history. I could watch. I can say I was a personal witness to. So yeah, out here on the prairie, you'll see me wearing something with a Detroit logo on it almost every day. And by the way, we do have a Hall of Fame here. Mike's the only one that's in it. <laughs> <laughs> the induction speech lasted three days. <laughs> oh, it's, wait, it's finished yeah, exactly no it goes on every week on Tuesdays. but it's so hard to get in i was put in by the veterans committee that's how tough it is okay it's hard it's, it's hard it's very very exclusive so uh and i i would not sully anybody else by linking their name to mine in these hallowed halls but uh jim mcfarland great journalist great guy check out his work metro times our detroit magazine and uh man what what a pleasure jim i've had two doses of you this week and i'm looking forward to the third we're gonna have to get you back on we're gonna come up with some excuse anytime guys this is big fun i can't thank you enough you've made my week thanks for joining us jim take care boys appreciate it take care so dick Purton was mad that that somebody (laughs) outed him for being rich probably because all these other dudes named Purton were like hey cousin dick although i imagine Imagine uh, there must have been some kind of stage name. Is Purton his given name? I don't know. I think so. Yeah, it's really? not. I don't know. I know he's well, from. It sounds like you do know. From Buffalo, New York. No, I don't know. And I, I, I mean, well, the family adopted it then. 
Because Joanne uses it. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, what 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 kid doesn't have a great last name and then says, well, no, I want to be, you know, Perklowski. You know, that's... Uh, that's Nicholas Cage. Yeah, but I think that was his cousin, wasn't it? Well, he was Coppola. I mean, yeah, but I mean, isn't Francis Ford Coppola yeah, his cousin? still Coppola. Cousin? He could have capitalized on that more than Cage. Oh, no? so speaking of, of uh, Nick Cage sort of indirectly... Mark Ridley, and speaking yes. of comedy, Mark Ridley's son yeah. is the screenwriter for Renfield. We are trying to get uh, Ryan Ridley for a future episode of The Soul of Detroit, so oh. so don't cancel your subscription anytime soon. And yeah, it Ryan's turns worked out, on um, Rick and Morty. He's worked on a, a bunch of shows. That sounds is, fun. His is, his is his solo screenplay. Yeah, and, and speaking of strikes, he's trying to close some deals, I think, because there's about to be another yeah, writer's one. strike, so there's a lot a lot going on there. And uh, it turns out Mark's other son does documentary films, so that's that's a pretty pretty talented family, and, and Mark is a, Mark's a, a pretty pretty good guy, too, so... So let's talk about a couple other good guys, guys who can save you money, can help your dreams come true. Maybe those dreams are owning a new home, refinancing and putting some more money in your pocket, or maybe just preparing you for a nice, comfortable retirement because you're you're investing wisely and not sitting there watching that stock market every day and losing your mind because... It keeps going up and down. And who well, yeah, maybe maybe you're a Hollywood writer, right? And you got a strike coming up, and you're gonna need to know how does how's this gonna affect my financial goals now and well into the future? Well, you need an advisor, right? Uh, absolutely. And that would be Luke Nowacki. That's the guy we recommend. Luke can help you uh, figure out what do, how much equity do do I need? How much, how many bonds? Where do I do, where do I put my money? What are all these numbers? These five twenty nines and four hundred one ks. I don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to call Luke and let Luke handle it. He'll give you a free consultation too right now, 248-663-4748. He'll explain, uh, he'll look at you, he'll look at your numbers and what you want to do and set you off on the right path. So once again, Luke Nowacki, good dude, 248-663-4748. And when you call Luke, he'll make it all about you, sweetheart. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRASIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. All right, it's springtime inventory of houses. It's on the rise. We know rates are lowest than I, th- I want to say in the last six months, and they're kind of leveling off. So now might be the time to buy a house. So if you've been thinking about trying to buy a house, the first call you're going to have to make is to Hall Financial. they got a lot of programs right now that can save you money off your rate. They can even help you with uh, down um, down payment assistance. And they've announced a 1% down program with up to $4,000 in forgivable down payment assistance for qualified buyers. So if you're thinking, um, well, I don't need to buy a house, but I'd like to renovate this house or buy a second home up north, you can get equity out of the house you have. Give them a call for that as well. See what they can do for you check out the website callhallfirst.com uh go to our website mlsilladetroit.com there's a link on the bottom of the page there you can click on that or simply pick up the phone call 866-CALL-HALL and make sure to tell them that uh, this show sent you so yeah Hall Financial Luke Nowacki that's Give right call. because when you call either one of those gentlemen they'll make it all about you sweet oh man <laughs> the geeks have inherited the earth did I do that what a dork is him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys? I think I'm going to make Sean mad with this week's geek. Oh, good. 
but I've been waiting to do this for a long time because it, it, it has to be said. It has to be said. But this week's geek is Tony Ortiz, who is once again selling a diet supplement or a weight loss plan or something like that as a commercial thing. And I just simply have to say, if these plans that he's endorsing are so great, why does he keep needing them? Listen, folks, good nutrition, exercise. You're talking about the radio guy, Tony Ortiz? Yes, a very nice man by all accounts, but he keeps trying to tell people this is how you can get in shape and you can lose weight by doing this diet plan. If they worked, you wouldn't have to keep doing it all the time. It feels to me like a little bit of a money grab. I think there's a better way to get It's like the for him's and for her's commercials, which is like, <laughs> oh, I'm depressed, so let me call somebody and they'll give me some medication. Well, medication well, can help you yeah. feel better, but you should get it from a doctor and not from some 1-800 number. Well, they have doctors on the other end. Yeah, but they don't know you and they're not going to follow up with you and you'll probably never get to speak to them a second time. You say, yeah, hey, I, that I, shit I, don't know, you I don't know if the goal of that doctor is to get you better or if it's to get you meds. Yeah, exactly. So, so listen, folks, I'm just telling you, take care of yourselves. It's really important. But the people who are paid to tell you how to get better, it seems like it's a gig. And if every few months or every year or so they're giving you a different plan, maybe they're not to be trusted. So... T.O., I say it with regret, but you're our Geek of the Week. See you again! There's an all-night party in room 7609. And you can dance together all night if you've got the time. Room 7609 is brought to you by the Kaju Cafe, the pride of the east side, the place where there's live music inside and as the weather's getting warmer, outside as well. Wednesday, it's karaoke, and it's pretty damn good karaoke. Thursday, Full Tilt Boogie. Friday, Super Crunch. That is a Grateful Dead tribute band that always packs the house. Saturday, First Rate, a Bonnie Raitt tribute band, and Ryan Delaha. I believe, but go on Saturday and, and ask Ryan uh, yourself how to pronounce his name. I think that's a John <laughs> Prine tribute band, if you can believe that. Hmm. That's a more, that's a, it seems like a more exclusive uh, uh, niche than even the Susie and the Banshee cover bands that you can see from time to time. Sunday, Planet D, damn it, my bad handwriting again. Planet D something. <laughs> did we go through this last week? I, I you know. <laughs> yes, we did. I'm going to have to listen to Just go to their website and check out all the great shows they have coming up. And Monday is Blue Mondays and Muscle Madness, all the muscles you can eat. Kaju Cafe is where you get the straight dope. That's C-A-D-I-E-U-X, C-A-D-I-E. It's a link on our website. Cafe.com. And there'll be a link to their website on our website, which is ML Soul of Detroit. Let them know that I sent you. Or just come and say, hey, what's up, yo? And we'll, we'll do shots. Okay. Once again, pop music. Borrowing, inspired by what have you from New Wave Music. This is Basement Jacks, and I bet you cannot guess which New Wave artist they ripped off.
so I got a hundred bucks for anybody in the room who can name which new wave tune. Uh, I don't know. If, I, uh, under- can I take it? Can I take a stab? You can. At first, I was thinking, you know, Jane's Addiction. Uh, I mean, they're not new wave. Obviously, it just reminded me that was what was in my brain. But then I wondered: is 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 this possibly Gary Newman? It's possible. Well, is it or is it not? I want to see if he knows which song is because I don't want to pay up. <laughs> oh, so it is Gary. Oh Newman. no, this is no bet. Mm. No, I w- this is mm. this is no bet. Really, you got Gary Newman out of that? He's a huge Gary Newman fan. You remember um, uh, Sean talking about that? I know he can be robotic sometimes, but sort of like the robot on on Lost in Space when you take that cassette out of his back and he just kind of droops over. There. <laughs> Wait a second. What do you mean? I'm I'll always drooped over. I, I like to think of myself as the Doctor Smith in this relationship. Is it something to do with me? I don't know. Damn! It looks like I owe Sean some M O N E. Why? Yes, that what it's, I know. No, 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 no. Screw that. I, I did something against my better nature. I, I got manipulated. Oh, no, you're the worst, Mark. Oh Fellauer. no, you're the worst. No, he, he did. He did. Did, utter, did he, he shazam it? He was it, just shocked. Right, and you had your fun, and now it's time to. Uh, it lasted like five seconds. You had your fun. You know. Look how thrilled he is now that he knows that you didn't know it. <sighs> No, I'm relieved because. Uh, <laughs> Why would he care if I know it or not? I mean, it, I, because he put money up the table. What I was more interested <laughs> in that I thought the song was done a couple of minutes in. It totally deke, it deked me out. I'm like, oh god, I can breathe, and then it fucking started back up again. I'm like, oh okay. So two amazing things happened there. It looked like I was going to have to pay somebody something, and it looked like Sean cared, but it turns out that neither one. No, I totally cared. By the way, you what? Well, you don't need to take the cassette out of my back, and I droop. I already droop. I still might take it out. Um, yes. Yeah, so Emmy stands for Mechanical Engineering, and and here's not here's, Mike Elric. Oh, I mean, there's Emmy. Which it's so blatantly sampled there, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think of this as one of the. I like that. That that's a more well known Gary Newman's. Of course, everybody knows Cars, but Cars. Yeah. This is my car. This is a very sad song. Actually, it's about artificial intelligence, a very relevant topic, and it refers to the very last machine. No, the 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 machine that killed the last living person on Earth, and is lonely and is waiting for somebody to interact with, but it's killed everybody because it has taken over, and it's kind of a bleak Oh, just song. like Wall-E. Yes! You, uh, yes. Floating <laughs> yes. around with your 64-ounce sodas. Mark, exactly. did, did yeah. you enjoy that, Mark? That His shock, did you have a little fun with it? Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. He, might, that he thought for a second he might owe you money. Well, I'm glad that I was able to, to you. I was glad I was able to bring a little light to your day. But let me just tell you, I wasn't really that worried because I know I can take some equity out of my house with Hall Financial. <laughs> and because I've planned for my retirement, if I have to spend $100 now, I know that the sort of advice that Luke Nowacki provides means that I'll be safe and secure and can make foolish bets in the interim because there's no way that I will end up spending my days flipping tricks on Mac Avenue or selling my plasma. Can, can we give Sean some credit for his acting job, though? I mean, he really did sell it well. I will say that it was characteristically deadpan, so <laughs> I don't want to, like Matthew Perry, uh, denigrate him as a Keanu Reeves-style. Oh, could you believe that? By the way, uh, we, were, we were talking about Cosby earlier. You guys Were you guys ever fans of Between Two Ferns? 
Yeah, it depends on the episode, but yeah. Uh-huh. John. What, what was that? Uh, Zach Galifianakis, the comedian oh. writer who sat between two ferns and had guests, and it was kind of deadpan. And Oh, no. Anyway, he had John Hamm on for for an episode. This is a while ago, and he was he said, so I, I hear the Don Draper suits in the Smithsonian, and then he paused for a second. He said, right next to the Cosby sweater? <laughs> Ouch. That's a great line. Which I thought. That's an excellent I, line. I thought of that. Yeah, that was a, yeah, speaking of deadpan, that's a great line. And Cosby, to tie it up. Now we're done, right? <laughs> oh, wait, no way of feedback? Well, we want to thank our, our, our donors. Uh, Bryant donated to the show last time, big time. Now, if you missed last week's show, we had three fantastic guests. It was a supersized show. And Bryant, who always supports the show, was super generous. And I think it's because he appreciated what's going on. I, I want to tell you a little bit about some behind-the-scenes stuff of the show. Thank you, Brian. We are working on a Patreon setup where we're going to offer some premium content to subscribers only and some opportunities to hang out with us, maybe even here in the studio, and hook up with some groovy swag. Is that so, a tequila? So stay tuned. Or is that Patron? No, no. That's the best tequila I've ever had is Cabresto tequila, which is brought to us by Tony Garcia. Uh, no, no, sorry, sorry. Tony Lopez. Tony Garcia I play softball with. Tony Lopez in Southwest Detroit. Big fan, big friend of Clark Park. Also makes some pretty groovy tequila out there. So yeah, I don't know about I don't know Patron. But we I, have I don't know. I'm not a yeah, tequila person. We have found a way to help you help us and it's very easy you go to our website mlsoulofdetroit.com you click a button you put some cake on the table and we get some frosting on our face metaphorically in other words send us some money and and we love it when you subscribe to the show on YouTube and follow us on Facebook Jill and Rick Ben sent a very cryptic message on Facebook ML used to date her I don't know who he's referring well, we had a little technical issue or, during uh, but, um, the Jim McFarland interview. Yeah. So I don't know if that was referenced to something else. Great what. interview, though, by the way. Oh, good, fun guy to talk yeah, to. Yeah, very fun. He's awesome. I think I told him 20 to 30 minutes, and we kept him for almost an hour. But I, it went by fast, as it often does when there's a long story that's well told. Um, Nancy also has been a very generous supporter of the show. And when, when she donated, she put one word, service. And I mentioned that, and she followed up. She says, hey, guys, just listen to episode 203. I have no idea what my comment service was about. I'm easily distracted. It could even have been that I hit the mic button and it recorded something off the TV. Oh, even better. Love the podcast, especially when Sean is on. Aw. Me too. Oh, so I'm on like monthly. Keep up the good work. I'm on a few times a year. That's what that sounds oh, people like. People want more. Maybe that's the, the key is that um, you keep people wanting more. That's why I don't the really quality like over that. quantity. That's very kind, but I don't really feel like it. But thank you. That's why the intro was dedicated to Sean. It sounded like it. So. What the hell was that intro from? Can you explain any of that? Yeah, so I. Uh, that I, was a few days ago, so I don't remember. So every. By the week, way, it's a file that was three hours and 20 minutes long. Yeah, I know. Sorry That's about okay. that. No, it's uh, fine. Well, by the way, well, okay, first, first let me tell you where it came from. Every week, Mark and I collaborate on an intro and outro, and I will find something that I think is relevant to the show or fun. I love old-time radio, so I try and get stuff like that. But sometimes we'll have a trailer for a movie that somehow has a connection to this show. 
Well, I thought with Nancy's enthusiasm for Sean, maybe we'd make this week's intro about Sean. We've done Sean of the Dead. There aren't that many others out there. So I looked up Sean trailers. And there's a podcast by a former Navy SEAL named Sean Ryan, who has like 1.24 million followers on YouTube. So we're we're 1.24 million behind. But um, he's a, kind of an interesting guy. He has some service called like Vig- excellence excel vigilance or something i mean he's kind of uh you know out there type of dude but he has podcasts the one that that we worked with this week for the intro and outro was three and a half hours long there's one that he did that was six and a half hours long with a former navy seal that transitioned to a woman and then transitioned back to a man and they did a whole episode on how i was never really a woman and i'm just like is he a vigilante also? I'm not sure. We just kind of we just kind of cannibalized it for. Well, of course, you know, patriot sometimes patriot fascist. The lines become blurred, but uh, but the um, we cribbed the intro and outro from the Sean Ryan podcast. Okay. It's a uh, you got your answer there, Mark. More importantly, I mean, it was longer than expected. Well, well, no, no, you'd, I'm sure you expected that. It's less than more, three and a half hours. So consider Im- yourself lucky. We could have we could have gone know, this, six and a half. And this show's getting there. You know, they, I know. I mean, we're no, we're gonna what, clock out the, an hour what, and a half. This guy's doing six and a half. Where's the motor? Is that your jacket, by the way? It that, is. That, that, that's a cool jacket. Yeah. Explain it. It's a racing jacket with a red and white stripe down the left shoulder. It looks like Mike belongs on a. Ducati, I guess, uh, bending over a curve. I also noticed it's a double XL, and I wonder, because you're in good shape, I wonder, are you, are you putting on uh, weight, like muscle, your pecs growing? What's happening here? Stop, I, I stop do, objectifying people in this I room. do a boxing class on Mondays at A1 Gym on Mac Avenue. Okay, it's really showing you is, look, is turning me you into, look nice. It's turning me into a threat you look sharp. to any villains. I'm a big speed That's racer a cool fan. Jacket. I love I that just, whole... Yeah. 60s early 70s thing the aha video i love that whole look that was just kind of a cool uh kind of new frontier meets uh meets the uh the new wave cinema type of stuff what is that take it on me is that is that what that is i don't know once again room 7609 <laughs> is where we learn about new wave music and sometimes the big hits we find are equally obscure to those who yeah, who don't remember from all that time ago. We're not hip to the scene, as the kids say. Or or saw it passing by the culture and let it pass on by. But anyway. All right, what, what's next? Uh, we have some feedback. Each of my co-hosts and friends have some feedback to share with us because we love it when you write to us what you can do by sending an email to mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. Or you can rate the show. We're very proud to have over 600 ratings. And we love it when you rate the show and leave a comment, so please do that. These happen to arrive to us via email. Um, <laughs> Were you Sean, waiting for Sean you, there? <laughs> st- since Sean's uh, ass is on fire and his scalp is catching, why don't you read no, us? No, I saw Mark pick his up, so I wasn't sure. Okay. Dear Sean, I really enjoyed your thoughtful column on Jameson Williams and the Detroit Free uh, Press. Oh, this feels like a walk-on. This no, is somebody's. No, no. This is somebody's. Uh, somebody's got their emails crossed. No, 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 no. This was supposed to be lavishing praise on Mr. Fellhouse. <laughs> Dear, I know exactly. Dear Mr. Elric, I love your podcast. I don't know if he gets much credit for this, but Mr. Fellhauer, I love the Mr. No, here. No, Mr. I love the Mr. Here. Yeah, you deserve a Mr. It's a very formal audience. You've, you've very respectful. Too formal. You have earned the the moniker. Mr. Fellhauer is a very talented dialogue facilitator. I, I would agree with that. Hmm. 
Yeah. You're just very, very kind. Well, what's the question? Let's break this up here real quickly. I'm you're expecting just, a big butt. You're very talented, period. And we do enjoy your dialogue. And you facilitate in all sorts of ways in your life. So, I, yeah. I don't need to read any more, do I? It's up to you. Please well, the rest is about Mike. So, oh, well, we're, uh, now I want to know. Okay. It's not okay. about me. It's a question about a public official. And the purpose of this show is to help people get behind the scenes on politics and investigative reporting, how the media works, and what the real truth is. Okay. Okay. Anyways, so, okay. Thank you, Mark. You're awesome. I enjoy when you explain, I t- well, now we're back to Mike, of course, when you explain how the, quote, sausage is made with your reporting and I have public corruption questions. I suspect they enjoy it when anyone explains how the sausage is made, so you can just, you can edit me out. Okay, questions. Harkening back to your Red Navigator lease reporting. If now Mr- you got to put me back in. Yeah. Oh. Nice how that worked out. If Mr. Kilpatrick and or his wife instead just took a single or even a pair of, say, new Chevrolet Tahoe SUVs from the city fleet instead of leasing a red Lincoln SUV and filled its tank with city gas and or use city credit card at a local gas stations, would that have been permitted as or just as bad? Is it actually illegal? I asked because on record last night at my city council, it was revealed our mayor does just that. Takes a really nice new city-owned SUV and with ex-municipal license plate and fills it at the city gas pump. These are not fringe perks provided to the mayor, but outside of one councilman, the council majority and city manager just sort of shrugged and moved on. This is in Flint. Stay well, Mary. P.S. I love Mark. Aw. Thank you, Mary. Mary might want to become a subscriber. One of those those one-on-one opportunities with the She donates with her praise. As most Marys are. Very gracious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pray for us now. Do you have a short answer to that? I... Maybe yes. So oh. if if Mayor Kilpatrick had used a city vehicle to transport his family, that would have been no problem. Instead, at the same time the city was cutting back on its budget and was on the verge of bankruptcy, he took twenty four thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars, which was five dollars less than the reporting threshold, to get his wife a luxury SUV. As she put it, when do I get my navy? Yeah. Now, Detroit City Council members are provided, and other Detroit officials are provided with free city vehicles that they pay no insurance on because the city insures them. They pay for no repairs because they're repaired at the city garage. They get all the free gas they can carry from the city's fuel depot. It is a perk of the job, and it's something that when I ran for city council, I said should be taken away. It's not unusual for officials in large municipalities, which I would say is $100,000. Damn it, I'm going to stay in my Riviera. (laughs) Which now has a full tank of gas. And because it's at 85, a full tank of transmission fluid, because you often have to fill both at the same time, unfortunately, which is why I was late today. But uh, it's not unusual for that to happen, but it's something that should be well-known and disclosed and it shouldn't be something where if you're not entitled to it that you're taking a city vehicle because there are lots of city employees who get in trouble for abusing city vehicles Seems ripe for abuse yeah and and one of the reasons why i said these vehicles should be taken away is it really separates you from your constituents because you don't worry about how bad the roads are you don't worry about how safe unsafe the gas stations are you don't worry about how high the insurance rates are if you don't pay for the repairs, if you don't go to the gas stations, and if you don't get the insurance bill every six months that tells you we are getting bled. I know it's a perk, too, but is it really necessary to have that for the job? Well, now, here's the one argument where you might say a mayor or a council person is entitled to it because you do a lot. Drive around your own district? 
Right. You're getting out sure. into the community, and that's why in a smaller community, that's why it's, it's really right, hard that's to why justify. Right for abuse, though. You could just pay well, mileage. Right? So, so exactly. here's the here's the flip side. If that's the only vehicle you have, you're not using it just to engage with constituents. You're using it to go to the grocery store. You're using it to go on vacation. And most egregiously of all, you often see them, you're using it to campaign, which gives you an unfair advantage over your opponents. And it allows the public to subsidize your political endeavors, which is absolutely outrageous. But to Sean's point... Keeping track of mileage is a drag. It can become complicated when you're doing this, when you're doing that. The real solution, and it's the other option that that officials in Detroit have, is instead of giving you a free vehicle, you can get a stipend of $500 a month or whatever it is that to seems, offset yeah. the cost or of a bicycle. operating. Give them a bicycle. Let them ride that around. Vehicle. Here's the real question. Here's my question. How much of that 24000 how much of that, let me rephrase this, the $24,000, how much did that pay for the Navigator? Yeah, because that seemed like a terrible lease. So the $24,995 was taken to a Ford dealership, and they were told, we need a one-year lease on a Navigator. We have $24,995. And the dealership told them, as they told me, we don't do one-year leases. That's way more money than a one-year lease would cost, even if we did them. So we're going to give you the vehicle for two years, and that's still more money then you'd have to pay for a two-year lease. Yeah. And the people who were sent to acquire this vehicle for the first lady just said, here's the check, take it. So it not so, only was... What uh, was the cost of a Navigator then? Do you remember? Oh, God. It, I, I would say... 40 or 50,000. I was, was going to say 45. Yeah, <laughs> so, probably. Yeah, this 50, was if it's fully loaded. Can you imagine now, now a Honda's that much? Oh, yeah, no, well, I know, but shit. I don't understand why, why they had to it's pay brutal. that amount. Why was it that amount? Why did it have to be that amount no matter what? Because so the reporting, any, right? Any expenditure of $25,000 or more yeah. had to go through city no, no, no. council. I understand that, oh, but, sorry. but if it was more than a one-year lease, which they don't do, oh, I why think, not pay I think, twelve grand? I think they had the check. I think oh, it was so just, like a cashier's we check. have this check, and we are leaving with a vehicle. Get if it's $20,000, and they didn't get change, so yeah, so... Um, yeah, very embarrassing. And I still remember. I wonder. I wonder. So they, they hose the, themselves in their own corruption. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, because the check was already written out, or you know, like a cashier's check. I would assume. So how did the dealership handle that? I mean, that. I mean, I spoke to the owner of the dealership, and he said they wanted a one-year lease. We said we're going to give you two, and they gave us the check, and we deposited. We it. deposited it. Yeah, I mean, they did nothing wrong. If anything, no, I know. Just, you know, you go to a car dealership and you say, "I insist on overpaying for that vehicle." Nobody's going to say, "Hey, listen, pal, we can't I let know. you do that." It just seems so you know. stupid. Yeah, it's, say, yeah that's thanks. definitely odd. What's yours, Mark? All right, uh, uh, you have it in your hand. From Olivia, ML. It made my day when I saw quote Tucker fired trending on social media, but then I realized it was the Fox News grifter, not the $95 million grifter in East Lansing. (laughs) Over under six wins (laughs) this coming season? I'll take the under. Only eight and a half years to go on this historic contract. Do do we have some new Max Pro Cop music to play under this response? Because it's going to... I feel like... I feel like I need the support. It's funny. Of, I didn't even put two, of, two of together there. So when I read this, I thought, yes, yes, yes. Because Tucker Carlson, and this has nothing to do with his political views. He said one thing to the public. Sure. And, and professed that it was how he truly felt. 
and behind the scenes express the complete opposite view. That is why Tucker Carlson is despicable. Now, his political views, I would say, are not enlightened either, and you can have your own opinions about those. But the fact that he told the public, who trusted him one thing when he truly believed the other, that's why he is a steaming, heaping pile of shit. And then the other thing is when his colleagues were reporting the truth, the truth, what he believed to be the truth, he was sending their boss's memo saying, we got to fire this person. They're really hurting us. So Tucker Carlson, ah, beat it. And Don Lemon, I'm not going to miss you either. But as for Mel Tucker, enough already. <laughs> enough. Give the man a chance. Leave Mel Tucker alone. Give him this season at least. Mel Tucker. How many, how many seasons are you giving him? this season at least he had one partial season where he beat michigan so that buys him some grace he had another season where he went 11 and 2 who's bitching about that and beat michigan yeah and beat michigan with some help from the refs and then last season True. oh by the way so patty monomery i gotta tell you this was also inducted in the michigan journalism hall of fame i know this is a digression but this is really important now patty well monomery that should be the name of the show digressions is, she's absolutely well, it was going to be the provocateur, but we didn't think people could spell it. Absolutely worthy of being in the Hall of Fame, which is why I nominated her and helped manage her campaign. She's a proud Wolverine, and that's fine. That's, people are entitled to have one blemish on their record. She gets up at the Kellogg Center in East Lansing on the Michigan State campus and begins her acceptance speech by taking a shot at Michigan State. You Wolverines are low-class dirtbags. You're so insecure. What you was can't... the shot? Uh, yeah, that sounds like we're the insecure ones right What now. was the shot she took? Do you remember? Something about... Why are you so insecure? Normally, I would have nothing to do with Michigan State or whatever, but today I'm glad to be here. And so oh, I yelled well, out in the middle fun. of her I speech. I got a laugh. I yelled out, Go Green! Oh, nice, nice making her speech yeah. about you. Yeah, way to go. I'll thunder. bet that got a laugh, though, didn't it, her line? Nice stealing her thunder, jeez. There might have been a couple people who liked it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, awkwardly. Dicks. But anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, so the Mel Tucker had a bad season last year. Give the man a chance. Okay. My God, people are lining up to beat on Mel Tucker. And by the way, here's where the other people uh, that Spartalina, there's some tool on TikTok or whatever is Twitter with the Musk guy who's always taking shots at me for like, ah, Michigan, the media's in the bag for Michigan. They, you know, they hate the Spartans and you hate the Spartans because because we didn't break the story about Jim Harbaugh possibly covering up a rape. USA Today covered it and we ran it, I think. And, you know, the only thing worse than Wolverines, and it's, you really got to look for something worse than Wolverines, is insecure Spartans who think there's a conspiracy Conspiracy against us if we're not piling on anybody who's I ever looked that, at us Mike. sideways. I, I, I am so sick of chicken shit Spartans who think that the whole world is out to get us. That's not the Spartan mentality. The Spartan mentality is 300 of us march to our death. Oh, that's Are you not, listening to your own words, though? That doesn't sound good either because we got killed. But What's that now? I'm sorry. Nothing. Go ahead. You're fine. Oh, sorry. Anything else? I guess we. I, I, I thought <laughs> I was going to have nice, to keep talking so we nice didn't run out of that. music, but it seems to me that's the nice music stopped a couple up. of minutes ago. Anyway, so Mel, I'm fine with Mel. Yeah, that's a nice way to wrap this and, up. And I'm glad Tucker Carlson <laughs> is gone. So, Sean, um, what, what did you guys think when you saw Tucker Carlson was gone? Me? I was Wait, shocked. We're talking, to Tucker, we're talking about Tucker Carlson. Let's we'll talk now. about Tucker. Yeah, why not? I was, I was floored. I was shocked that, that he was fired. 
Do you think that was part of the settlement with Dominion? No. Really? Give us $787 million in Tucker Carlson's head? I mean, that wouldn't be... I don't know. I think... Thing. Oh, boy. No, because how does that help them in a defamation lawsuit? Well, the lawsuit's over. I mean, they'd rather have the apology, right? Well, they got both, right? They got the dough. They got the mea culpa. Yeah, I I don't know. I'd be shocked if lawyers put it in there to make sure someone was fired. Doesn't that set kind of a dangerous precedent? I don't know. Uh, Well, the thing is... Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and and Sean Hannity's I mean, own comments they, about okay, what they really believed seemed to be just as damaging as Tucker Carlson. Those two and are still on Mar- Maria Bartiromo. Rated. Yeah, I mean, Lou Dobbs I, I, lost his job pretty quick, but you know, there's still other people that were in that lawsuit that are there. Yeah, but Tucker I Carlson know, I guess, I guess was the yeah. highest rated show on cable television, and not just because Charlie popped up every once in a while. I mean, he took over for Bill O'Reilly <sighs> and not only preserved that time slot, I think he grew that audience. He was Yeah, no, he's made them huge. a lot a lot of money. That's the vic- why that's the why I was shocked. The victimhood is really something. When uh, it's not real, right? What do you mean? Doesn't doesn't Tucker Carlson uh, uh broadcast from the Eagle's Nest? Is that what they call it? Sorry, that was Hitler's bunker. But I, I heard that he he does his show from some remote studio in Maine. No, but your 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 so. point earlier about saying one thing and feeling one way, right? Yeah, privately. It, yeah, like it, despising Trump, the things he said about Trump, and then and sure, then, no, that, just, I mean that's to me that's the problem with him is yeah, of course the lies. Well, I think whether you agree with any of us on this show, I, I mean, I can tell you from what happens when we're not broadcasting. Everything you hear from us, we believe. I mean, maybe we're idiots. Maybe we're wrongheaded. Maybe we're just... He saw himself as an entertainer, right? I mean... And he was. In fact, the company argued that. The company argued that, and it's in court. Yeah. It's not a journalism enterprise. It's an entertainment. Smart, talented guy, but the duplicity... But I I find it hard to believe that Fox News said, well, we're going to fire somebody who's duplicitous because it seems like there's a stable full of those cats. In a way, it shows that Fox knows that we're... The entity that we are is more important than this one talent. I mean, they've succeeded, like you just mentioned, when Bill O'Reilly was let go, when Glenn Beck was let go. I mean, they're fine. They have a structure that is fine. I mean, I, I would they'll not bring be, somebody in. Well, Jesse, I could see Jesse Waters jumping oh, in. That'll there. be. That'll, well, they'll bring somebody in. That'll be just. Not, as, he's a dumb just, shit. Yeah, and, and Tucker will do something, and he will be just fine. Yeah, he'll do his own Blaze Network. But like it won't Glenn be. Beck. But look at these other guys or gals, Megan Kelly, whatever they've. They don't have the same. Fox is the platform. To your point, they're the infrastructure. When these folks leave. Yeah, you still know who they are to some degree, but it's they're not they don't have the same yeah, place. Yeah, Megan Kelly and NBC and the, did they, not work out. They don't have the same place in the culture, especially the right wing culture anymore, right? Well, it it does make you wonder whether that time slot on Fox News is you know you, you put a can of corn out there, it's going to draw three million yeah, viewers. No, the, the still, can of still, corn just I, has to I, say Biden's an old fart. I don't agree with a lot of what Tucker says, but there's still something about him that is um, that makes people drawn to him and that is, is entertained by him. And that's fine. He always looked like he was trying to the squeeze Feigned outrage. That look on his face. Yeah, Feigned outrage. That's everywhere, man. No, that's for sure. Twitter. Oh, yeah. That's no, fake. watch, watch no, MSNBC. Our, MSNBC is like four hours well, of people who, oh, I can't who watch are... It. Like, like Rachel Maddow, I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't listen. I don't like no. it. No, there's they, no discourse. There's no, there's no, yeah, it's just nobody talks anymore. It's no, frustrating. It, it's, it's nobody all. Nobody converses. It's all venting to your own your own uh, bubble yeah it's it's tough to watch oh, she's hard to she's hard to listen to but uh 
But anyway, Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker's cool. And Don Lemon's terrible. And I'm surprised he wasn't fired long ago. For his he should have been for he what he was doing, doing behind the scenes. Well, that's probably why he was let go. But I mean, his performance was downright awful, too. Well, and the stuff he said about women that, you know, when you're out of your 20s and 30s, you're past your prime and all this other stuff. Well, I'm like, exactly. I'm like, really, Don? The truth hurts. Hello? Yeah, I'm like, Don? Exactly. Come on. <laughs> yeah. No, Don always seemed to me like one of these guys he who was, was so too. in love with yeah, Don Lemon. Are. But uh, they're all performative. All those pundits on TV are performative. Well, they're not all pundits. Some of them are. I'm trying to think of it. Like Jake Tapper at least tries to be like an old school anchorman a little bit. He's not like Don yeah, Lemon. I'll, or, I'll give you that. That's probably no. why he's so boring. Right? Seri- no, I'm no, being no, serious. No, for sure. I mean, Blitzer sort of tries to do that. Oh my a little god, bit, he but, is the king of snooze. But he, he, right, right. Just so call it snooze news. People just don't want that anymore. I just made they? that up. That's Are you proud of me. They just don't want. What's that. new in the snooze? I mean, the sh- what was his name for Fox who left? He he was tried to be an anchor type. Uh, Shepard. Uh, oh, Shep Smith. Smith. And he fell Shep flat Smith. on his face. Yeah. I thought he was a great anchor. He just he was. He, he was. But it, that's not our culture now. People don't want that. Do you remember You're when right. Shepard Smith farted on the air? Have you ever seen that clip yes, on YouTube? I have, yeah, I think that's nice. That was kind of funny. It's very cute. <sighs> but he, he tooted. Hey man, he tooted. he's breaking news, breaking wind. It's all in the same. It's all in the same vein. Um, Carlos <laughs> is it, and Sean. Is it, is it Wednesday yet? What happens with Carlos like and Sean with Carlos on the road? Uh, we're we're figuring that out. We're figuring that out. You gonna have ML fill in? I thought about that, but I promised I wouldn't get. I promised Carlos I wouldn't have ML on unless he could be there to, to, um, to enjoy. Because you know they want to gang up and insult me for an hour, so I don't want to take that pleasure away from uh, from Carlos, or for that matter, from Mike. No, no. When I'm here with you, we talk about how terrible Carlos is. When I'm there with Carlos, we talk about how terrible you are, and I I feel like I'm being true to myself in both cases. It's two reprehensible You're, gentlemen. <laughs> You don't like either one of us. <laughs> no, Carlos is not terrible at all. He's a good dude. Um, and we're thinking of it. All right, we're going to figure that out. So what's next? I, I mean, I guess I was waiting for an answer, but if you don't have one, that's fine. Maybe we'll get Mark in there. Mark, Mark's done that before. Yeah, I got plenty of time. He Let's enjoys do it. it he I do enjoy it. I, don't, I like it. talking sports. Yeah. I like your column on Jameis Williamson. Or Jameson Williams, James. sorry. Oh, about the NFL being. The gambler. Yeah, about the what? NFL saying, "Oh, what you're gonna, if an you're gonna, asshole!" If you're gonna gamble, uh, I'm still more mad at him than I am the NFL owners. Absolutely, no. no he should have followed, and I wrote that, and he, he should have. It he was did. just stupid of what he did for sure. What gets me is that this is. Oh my God, this is the thing about the NFL that drives me nuts. Their punishment for what Jameson Williams did, which is essentially, you know, pulling out and betting on FanDuel or whatever about whatever sport, as long as it's not NFL games, obviously. Mm-hmm. Their punishment for that is the same as sexual assault, you know, domestic violence, whatever. And that's that's ridiculous. Well, I, see, this is where I disagree with you. I do think if you're the NFL, your punishment for gambling should be the harshest punishment. It shouldn't be any. There should be no penalty for that unless you're betting on NFL games. Uh, well, okay, that's they fair. Just, yeah, they I, they but, market but it's themselves. Be they market themselves, right? Well, I think I think the irony is if he didn't do it in a team facility, then it's a okay. Yeah, they, you can't when do they it just, in your car or whatever. They just the cold, approved the NFL the owners tub. approved that they can have sports books within the stadium. No, exactly. I mean, they signed a billion-dollar deal last year with uh, with uh, Caesars Entertainment and FanDuel and DraftKings. But look at all the noise about the games being fixed, right? That last year, 
there, that was a big thing on Twitter about the games being fixed and predetermined. So that that's why their punishment on gambling in general has to be harsh. That's what they've always said, but now that they see how much money they can make, they don't care, you know. And it's just no, it's it's I, hypocritical. And I get it. Don't bet on NFL games, but you what? They can't bet on Tiger Woods or Pete Weber. I guess he's not still bowling Pete anymore. Weber. Whatever. But uh, <laughs> I, don't see I got Jameson. Mark Roth in the next video. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, at Thunderbolt Thunderbird Lanes, there. You know, or the or the uh, the Oilers Kings uh, playoff series or whatever. You know the hockey series. It's they should be able to bet on whatever they want. Who cares? By the way, have you ever been to the big bowling alley in Allen Park? I think it is Thunder Bowl Lane. Long time ago. Yeah, it's great. They have a room that they rent out for. I mean, they have tournaments there, and they mm -hmm. can rent it out for corporate. It may be one of the coolest venues I've ever seen. It's huge. It's got like this amazing sound system. It's got multiple bars. It is so I have to check that out. Cool. There, I always wanted to stop at that bowling alley. They tore it down several years ago. It was on 96 in yeah. Livonia. Yeah, I know. Kind, what you're kind of in Livonia. On the north side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I always drove by there thinking, oh, I'd love to go in there one day and never did. And now it's gone. Great story. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, no, just things that are just fading away. It. I know. Hopefully, this show. Shit. I mean, at least for today. <laughs> so, what did we learn here today, kids? We, we learned about. About uh, rock and There's roll. No reason for a, a don't need a, a recap. Recap here. There's we no learned that we've got some amazing guests that we. It will was be awesome. He's going to do it anyway. So uh, why don't you? Why don't we do a ML uh, Hall of Fame? Yeah, not maybe not today, but yeah, no, definitely not today. I'm just not sure who else is worthy for inclusion. All right, yeah, no, Mark great. is. No, I just, I'm just okay. How about this, Mark's calves? I mean, I mean the show yeah. Between my there. head and Mark's calves, how are we going to fit anybody your, else in your there? Your calves, solid Detroit Hall of Fame, and all of us can vote. Could be Red Shovel Network, <laughs> uh, corporate um, heroes type of thing. It could be. We got any money in a budget for that? Well, no. That plug you just gave that bowling alley in Allen Park. I mean, you should let us use that room for free now. Yeah, no. It's not a bad idea. I'm going to have let's to make go, sure I get there. Let's go there. I'm going to have to make sure I get their name right before we hit them up for yeah, some swag. I'm afraid I'd tear my labrum if I tried to bowl, but uh, let's go. What? Let's go try. My shoulder. Oh, let's go do it. It's not what I heard. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, well, we do appreciate you listening to us. Please subscribe, you, you donate, IA, send us some email. Exactly. <laughs> what? No. That was a joke. Uh yeah, don't don't get distracted. Go leave, forth. Leave leave the comedy Go to professionals forth, like man. Jim McFarlane and Mark Ridley. Go forth, young man. And until man. next week, Cyrus, would you kindly escort us out? Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? I know it sounds like you're kind of still searching for a purpose, but I'm telling you, ML, you're fucking killing it, and uh, you probably are. Very similar to a lot of my friends, and um, you don't reflect on your own success. And, um, you know, but uh, I'm just going to tell you, you're fucking killing it, dude.